Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief for recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro live chats. Tonight, we have Emily Meehan. Really looking forward to this chat. Um, she's the senior sports dietitian at the Collingwood Football Club and has been for the last eight seasons. She also works with AFLW, the Magpies Netball, and consults to the Malaysian track cycling team who are currently in Tokyo. Prior to working for Collingwood, Emily worked with the Western Bulldogs at Melbourne Victory and completed her PhD on nutrition and high-performance sport. She also has completed her PhD and is vice chair president, uh, or sorry, vice chair of the AFL Sports Dietitian Australia Group. Sorry, Emily, got that muddled up. Before we start episode 67, the Prepare Podcast Empower aspiring athletes and staff with practical knowledge from some of the industry's most inspiring individuals and to strengthen the AFL community. If you like the show, please show your support by following us on Instagram, where we host our live chats, as well as supporting the podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Bear with me. I'm just going to get Emily to join us. Welcome, Emily. Thanks for jumping on. Thank you for having me. Let's uh, dive back uh, right back into the beginning. At what age did you discover you had a passion for being dietetics, but also working in elite sport? Honestly, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I left school. Um, I loved my sport, so I ended up studying uh, or doing a human movement degree. And um, partway through that, we did a nutrition subject and I was like, oh, I actually really like this. So um, I started to then do all my electives so then I could get into a master's in nutrition, uh, nutrition and dietetics at Sydney Uni. Um, and during that time, I did um, an internship with the Manly Seagulls and we were looking at food diaries and supplements and all of that. And again, I was like, yep, no, this is really good. No, this is what I want to do. And so, yeah, continued on with my master's. Um, but as you sort of discover throughout that time, you sort of see that there are not many full-time sports dietitians out there and you need to have or, you know, have an interest in something else. So after uni, I ended up going and working um, in corporate health nutrition. So I was running healthcare um, programs in, with mining and trucking companies um, for a year or so and then I worked in the food industry. And finally, I was able to get my foot in the door with sport. And it probably wasn't the traditional way in that, I suppose, in a, a way that I encourage a lot of um, new dietitians now is just, you know, sort of volunteer with teams is that I saw a, um, an opportunity come up with the Western Bulldogs and Victoria University, and it was to do a PhD. And it was something that really took my fancy and applied, and I was lucky enough to get it. So instead of doing, I suppose, a lot more internships, I chose to do a PhD, which took me quite a long time. <laughs> so yeah. it was a really hard oh, slog. It ended up taking me six and a half years. So oh, wow. okay. much of this may of my um, supervisors yeah. didn't love it. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that, um, especially in elite sport, that, yeah, I don't know who it was that was telling me, but it's around 10 years is the average, you say. Well, you can get um, easily distracted uh, by the elite sport side of things, which I did. I loved doing all of the the um the practical stuff at the club and I was easily distracted yep. and taken away from the research side of it um so it probably yeah like I said my supervisors did not love that one bit <laughs> yeah yeah but it worked for you it led you in the direction where you wanted to go so what, exactly. how did you find that balance when you take yourself back to doing your PhD at Western Bulldogs like obviously you it, it's a foot in the door you want to um, give that your best shot and, and impress those around you and, and connect with everyone around you as well um, but at the same time, you, you're completing a, your PhD, which is a massive feat in itself. So how do you, for someone listening that's maybe interested in going down that route, um, how did you go about, uh, not life balance, but just managing that workload um, and prioritising the two, I guess? Oh, look, it was tough. Uh, like I said, I, I did really get distracted by the club side of things. Um, I suppose looking back on it now, I wish I'd probably taken a, little, a bit different direction in terms of the research that I did, um, making it more club-based, if anything. And initially it did start out that way and then it became quite lab-based. Um, you know, I was looking at things like cell cultures and it really didn't work out um, and we ended up taking the research at a different angle um, after about probably two years. 
so it wasted you know a lot of time there um but i definitely say you know looking at the environment that you're working in trying to find that that research question that you can you know what answer can you you know sorry what question can you um you look at to help you answer some questions within the environment that you're working in and i wish i'd done that better and look we definitely did some really great studies and it's helped um helped me definitely along the way um you you learn from your mistakes um but it was it was tough but definitely choose something that you that you are really interested in if you're going to do yeah. a phd um get some good support around you um and you know and then hopefully you can conduct that research in a club or in you know a club of athletes whether it's footy or not yeah so was the question um already decided by the university and the club was it and then you you took it on and uh enrolled for that um that position no i could come up with it from the start and um i probably didn't spend enough time in the club before i came up with that question it was sort of i started and then they were like okay quick come up with a question and it didn't give me enough time to get to know my environment and because i was also thrown in the deep end really of um of learning what to do in my role as well mm-hmm. so oh, take about um, a year itself yeah. at that level to, to, to exactly <laughs> exactly and I, I hadn't you know i hadn't done a heap of sports nutrition prior to that so i was learning on the go so it was all mm-hmm. really full on for me and you know it's funny fair few years later now but there are so many research questions that i'd love to do now <laughs> as part of a phd but i don't think i'll be going back to that. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> um yeah, that's really interesting and great advice. I think this challenges are definitely growth periods where you, um, you you do build up a lot of that um, knowledge and I guess you have to learn quick when you're in that environment position. You've got to make quick decisions and learn that way. So um, no doubt it, it set you up for the for the path that you've taken on, which has um, been super successful. Well, with the for those listening in, you mentioned that you wouldn't recommend it. Um, what, what what would be the in hindsight, which is a full thing, but what would you prefer you have done if you had your time again for a developing dietitian, or I guess if you were talking to yourself eight years ago, nine um, years ago? Oh, look, I look, I, I look back at that now, and it's only made me um, more resilient. And you know that process, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it probably. Um, but if I was going through it again, and I really wanted to get into elite sport, I'd be volunteering and and getting my name out there and um, it doesn't matter whether it's VFL clubs, wherever it might be, um, getting your name, getting your foot in the door, doing the hard yards and eventually a position will come up for you. Um, and it's sometimes just right, right place, right time. And if you're a hard worker, it definitely helps. We, um, you know, I do, I get so many people asking whether they can come in and, and shadow me at the club. And, um, you know, there's only so much time, especially when you're only part-time in the club um, to be able to dedicate to students and we yeah. love to, and I, I know that all, you know, AFL dietitians are the same. We'd love to give more of ourselves in that respect, but most of us are part-time. Um, so it is really hard to do, but there are definitely VFL clubs out there and other clubs that are looking for that assistance. And you can start to set up some really great professional practices in um, younger developing athletes. Um, and you know, clubs appreciate that and all you're going to do is learn. And then by the time you sort of a position does come up in the AFL level, um, you'll be, you know, really in for, a, a, you know, getting that position. Yeah. And, and why AFL? Was it a matter of opportunity, right place, right time with in terms of the, being at VU and, and you saw that opportunity at PhD and then you've run with it? Or was, was mm-hmm. AFL when you started your, your course something that you had your eyes on? No, it was, it was that particular PhD opportunity, I had not seen it. So I'm from Sydney originally, uh, and I'd never seen the opportunity offered where it was um, a position within a club, but also a PhD. And they're offered quite widely now. But back when I first started, which is over 10 years ago now, they weren't offered that much at all. Um, so when I saw that come up, I just wanted to jump at the chance. And and I was lucky enough and, you know, I moved into state and it was yeah. a, such a great experience and I can't be more thankful for it. And what did the team look like from the performance team? Did you have a senior dietitian at the time that was full-time, part-time? What, what sort of support did you have? No, um, and you'll find that in most clubs there will only be one dietitian, so I was it. Um, by yeah, the time right. I got there, there, was, there wasn't a dietitian. Um, I think yeah. someone had been there, maybe had, was there previously, but 
there was nothing left, you know, no notes, nothing. So I'd come in, had to start from scratch. Um, I was very much, I was under, you know, they had high performance managers and strength and conditioning there and, um, and a fair few interns as well, but no nutrition support. It was all me. And that's, yeah. that's what a lot of clubs look like at the moment anyway. You might have an assistant, maybe. Um, you might have a few interns, but that's, again, I think dietitians ranging across the AFL can only be, could be anywhere from 10 hours to sort of 30 hours a week with an AFL team. So it's really, yeah. really different. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense from what you were saying earlier. I didn't realise. I thought there was a dietitian employed and then your PhD was supporting your research there, but you were, yeah, was it. significant. <laughs> that's a significant role to be doing uh, and your PhD. So hats yeah. off to you. Good, good work getting through it. Um, along your journey and, and getting to that when you were at the time or who was influencing your decisions at the time, who would you sort of lean on during your, your studying while doing your, your, your PhD? I was really lucky at the time to have a great high performance manager. So um, Bill Daverin, who is now part of the Institute of Sport, uh, he, he was there, he employed me. Um, he was a really great support and a great believer in nutrition. So having someone support the role and belief in the program um, and belief in me was I, I couldn't thank him enough and you know we're still friends to this day and he's still just as supportive but it's again in it doesn't matter what sport you're in if you've got someone there that supports you and believes in I suppose the power of nutrition and how important it can be to an athlete um, yeah it's something that you don't take for granted because it, it's something that you know we constantly as a profession are sort of battling with um, is that Nutrition is an important part of the puzzle. It's not the be all and end all, but it definitely is important. And um, trying to get people on your side and getting that support is um, is really helpful. Yeah, yeah, that that brings up a couple of questions actually. But why do you think that is the way it is? Is it is it an Australian sport culture, or is it worldwide? With have you spoken to dietitians around the world where that's sort of the the way? Mm-hmm. Or, and um, has has it changed in in your time? No, look, it's. I think it's part on us as dietitians. If anything, we probably don't promote ourselves well enough in terms of what our credentials are. You know, often we're looking after the supplements and doing the skin folds and that's what we are sort of seen as. Um, mm. But our training is we, we have a clinical background. So in health, we, you know, we do a lot of study and, you know, we're looking after the health of the, the athlete first and foremost. And then, you know, we've got all the background in clinical conditions and then there are supplements and skin folds and body composition assessment and, you know, so we have to be better as a profession to be able to sort of get that across and not pigeonholing yeah. ourselves in, in a position where we're just doing skin folds and looking after supplements. Um, we've identified that and that's something that we've got to push a little bit more. And then it's just educating our, our colleagues on what, what we can do um, and how mm. we can help and, and how we can be part of that you know, strength and conditioning, puzzle, rehab, injury, um, medical, you know, we're definitely all part of that. And then we've also got the sports science knowledge as well and looking at the sports nutrition and how we can, um, how we can apply you know, the most up-to-date research. Yeah, 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 it's, um, it's interesting. It, it, it's almost like in some sense, I don't know if I'm speaking out tune here but like um, training in a sense like it's quite easy to become a trainer you can do a certificate three and four and start training people so the accessibility is there um, um but obviously you, you've done your phd so that you know and same with someone like a high performance manager like bill uh, i imagine had lots of experience and knowledge to get to that level so um potentially you can see how the perception there they can all get wrapped up in one unless unless the clinician does educate those around them um, there can be a perception and, you know, and almost you're put in a position where this is all you do, um, where there's obviously far more that you, you can impact and, and, and influence, whether it be rehab, like you mentioned, if the player's injured, influence their nutrition and control that aspect of their um, lifestyle. That can make a huge difference in how they feel early stages, but also how they're recovering. Uh, and then obviously the performance element as well um, for players to be able to, you know, do back-to-back performance efforts do you find like when you're going in and you're going into a new club like when you went from Western Bulldogs to Collingwood is it starting with your immediate staff first to get that buy-in that you mentioned or and then that goes into because you're not always going to have like like a leader like Bill who does just back you straight in and and value nutrition um or does it or do you just go straight into working with athletes one-on-one and 
and presenting to the to the whole club and you know what's a good strategy for for dietitians to, to build up and educate look i think it depends oh look yeah it depends on um on sort of what you're going into when i started at collingwood they their program was quite small in terms of nutrition so i had you know a, i suppose big ability to build on what was already there um mm. i very much individualized it down to every athlete um rather than sort of blanket approach which often you know when you've got minimal time in a club or with athletes is that you do take a blanket type approach but very much individualized it down and then yeah speaking one-on-one with with your colleagues and working in with the medical team and working in with your physios and your strength and conditioning and it's very much a collaborative approach you know you can't you know I think if you're you know for example doing a strength and conditioning program um, and your each of your players have individual goals then you can't just assume that you know, player A needs to put on weight or lose weight or, you know, you need to speak with your strength and conditioning coach, you need to speak with your high performance, you need to speak with the physios, what are their, what's their injury history like, um, speak mm. with the doctor, do they have any medical history that may be conflicting to the nutrition advice that you're providing, um, can you speak to the psychologist, you know. So there are so many things and so many people that you can bring on board when you are prescribing a nutrition program or. Um, setting goals for a player or an athlete as well so i definitely securing those relationships with the people around you is really important um it's one thing i definitely suggest on doing and having an understanding of what their roles are and what they do and um and then if you need to talk to them and and provide more information on what you can do as a professional as well then then that's great um but yeah the more information you can get from the people around you but then also from the athlete that you're working with the better outcome that that athlete's going to get. Yeah, yeah, I love that message. That's um, thanks for sharing that. And it's, you're going to make it, like you said at the end there, for for the athlete, which I guess we're all um, working for, is to to get the best result for the athlete. And if everyone's speaking a similar message uh, or the same message, then the athlete's going to feel well supported, and um, and you're going to get the best results. So yeah, love that holistic approach and and the individualized element as well. Um, we might spend a bit more time on that. So yeah, you mentioned most. Dietitians are going to be part time. How do you go about doing that? Is it do you take notes after meet sessions with players? Um, take us through sort of your strategy to to make the most of your time when time is precious when working with elite athletes. Yeah, look, it's really interesting. I suppose when you are a dietitian working outside of a club or in a private practice, you'll sit down, you'll have an initial consultation with someone for an hour, and you may have a review follow up. But with in a club environment, as you would know, you have so many corridor chats. And so you don't really necessarily get to sit down with an athlete for, for that amount of time because they're so busy off doing whatever else it might be. It could be edits or strength or massage and physio and, you know, anything else that they're possibly doing. Um, yeah. So it's really hard to get that time with them. Um, I definitely try and focus on those younger players. So as soon as they do come in, you know, as soon as a, a player is drafted, we're generally meeting with them within the first few days to find out uh, where they're at, what their nutrition knowledge is, what supplements they're taking, um, and and how we can then sort of start that process. Where are they going to be living? How can we educate them about food and nutrition and cooking? Um, where will they be living? Will they be living with other players? Will they be living with a host family? Can we speak with the host families about what yeah. food they're providing? So there's plenty of um, opportunity there with the the younger athletes and. And obviously, if you've been in a club for a while, you get to get to know those older athletes and generally they're pretty self-sufficient with what they do. So you don't need to, to meet with them as much. Um, but, you know, it's, it's those younger athletes that you can focus on. It's always having those little catch-ups, those little corridor, you know, catch-ups that are two minutes long maybe or you might be out in the gym, you might see them or could be when, you know, often I'm out serving lunch and I can have a quick chat to them then as well. Um, so sort of using those opportunities to educate, um, find out what's going on in their lives, what help they need. Um, it could be even over text, phone call, especially in the past year. Um, yep. It's often more over that sort of um, communication and, and finding out again how can we change up the plan that they might already have in place or what might have changed in their life that we need to then modify their nutrition intake for. Yeah, and... Um, for for the young players, because there would be some developing footballers tuning in that are eager to, to get better and and um and hopefully they do value nutrition because it's something that we've had 
a fair few dietitians on now, and, and it's certainly the area where where the most questions come through. I find anyway, so um, seems to be Propelica Pro followers are into it, which is good. Yeah. Um, so for those that want to get better with their with fifteen years old, um, and maybe they they want they're pretty keen to get bigger. What would be your advice, fifteen up until male and female, on that approach for you know maybe a coach or or someone or even themselves have identified that they're um, a lot lighter than where they feel like they need to be. Um, what would what would, how would you sit down with that player and discuss um, gaining you know muscle for a footballer? So basically, first we'll just start off at what what are they currently doing? What are they eating? Um, how much are they getting in? Sort of getting an idea of what their training's looking like as well. So what's their expenditure? So uh, look, I found from my first PhD study actually, we looked at um, AFL players and what their energy expenditure was, and we know that those measures aren't overly exact. They are estimations, um, but mm. looking at things like your exercise or your um, expenditure outside of your training, which can often contribute a lot to your overall daily calorie expenditure. Um, yep you know, obviously taking into account what your exercise is as well. So finding, trying to find the balance of what intake is versus expenditure. Um, yep. We're looking at calories. We're looking at protein distribution across the day, carbohydrate. Um, often there's still that idea that carbohydrate's the villain, um, which it's really not. So trying to get that back into the frame of mind that it's there to fuel you um, and you need that fuel across the day. And then you know, a good balance of healthy fats as well. So it's not just your calories, it's also your protein distribution, um, making sure that you're getting the protein intake at the right time. So post-training session, getting something in, not skipping meals. That's often that I find with so many young athletes. So when I've worked at school, schoolboy level before, is that so many people skip breakfast and that's such a huge um, loss of... break fast. Yeah, yeah, such a huge loss of calories or a big opportunity where you can get calories in during the morning. Yeah. So it's finding those practical, easy options that if you do want to sleep in, because we know sleep's important, that you can grab it out of the fridge, um, you know, jump on the tram, get in the car, and you're still getting those calories in um, prior to getting to school or pre-training. And, yeah. again, working on those really practical, easy options that you can keep in your training bag that aren't going to, perish you know like a squash banana or something like that that as soon as you finish school and you're off to training again that you're not going to miss another eating opportunity prior to fueling that training session that you've got in the afternoon so I always try and put the responsibility back on the young athlete um, mm -hmm. as much as like you know I, I chat to parents a lot and I try and get them involved in the process as much as possible as well because they're assisting um, their kids in this process but you know you need to take the process you know you need to take that responsibility on go shopping on the weekends, get in the snacks that you need, have them in your training bag. So there's never an opportunity for you to go, oh, I forgot, um, or I don't have time to eat. There always is time to eat. Yeah. There's always time to have something in your training bag and you, you just can't use that as an excuse. Um, so just making sure that, you know, making the most of every opportunity, don't skip meals and making sure that it's just good quality nutrition, um, good yeah. quality food and don't just go, okay, well, I just need calories, I'll just have a chocolate bar. Um, making sure that it's it is full of nutrition, good quality protein and carbohydrate and brightly coloured vegetables and grains. Yeah, and you and you mentioned the snacks. Um, what what type of snacks would be a good example for to like you said that if they're busy and they're moving from house sports to um, afternoon sport and, and that, so they're on the go, what would be sort of your ideal snacks to pack? Um, that Anything. Are um, muesli bars, you know, Carmen's protein bars. Um, nut bars, up and goes, anything like that to have in the bag, you know, snack, like nut packs. There are so many options out there that you can get at the supermarket now. Um, yeah. You know, my, I suppose my advice for, you know, school age versus footy, like AFL mm -hmm. is probably a little bit different in terms of mm -hmm. at AFL level. We've got to be really careful of the types of now functional foods that have protein added to them. We need to be very aware of that in terms of, um, of wider band substances but yep. you know for at school level not as much um, just choosing really good quality products that are easily available in the supermarket things like Carmen's really easily easy Uncle Toby's you know you can't really go wrong with brands like that yeah and um, probably not developing or maybe I don't know would a footballer should they be eating differently earlier in the week when they're in that recovery mode 
compared to the back end of the week when they're leading into the game? Or is it more, um, like you mentioned, eating, you know, getting a well-balanced diet and more or less, obviously, or after the game might be a little bit different, but what you're eating Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday should be roughly the same. Yeah, look, periodization, again, nutrition, yeah. Yeah, again, you, you sort of periodise your calorie intake and, and what is going on across sort of throughout the week. So if we look at a typical yeah. week in, say, footy land, um, early on you're going to be recovering from the game that you've played on the weekend. So you want to get your even spacing of protein across the day, breakfast, lunch and dinner, and that's the 48 hours post-game. So making sure that you're getting that good consistent intake of protein throughout that time and then replacing the carbohydrate that you've used during the game as well. Um, and then lots of bright colored vegetables and fruits to get your antioxidants throughout that time then. Also your training load's probably gonna be a little bit less at that point. So you don't need to go over the top um, with, your, with your energy intake. And then sort of 48 hours to 24 hours leading into the game, you can then start to slightly increase your carbohydrate intake again. And basically you're just putting, I suppose, um, increasing that you know, muscle energy or muscle glycogen supply going into the game on whatever day that might be that you're playing. It's not your traditional carb loading, but you're just slightly increasing that intake in really. Um, yeah. And that can just be, you know, if you're looking at your dinner plate, instead of having um, a quarter of a plate of, of carbohydrate or grain, so, you know, rice, for example, you might increase that out to half a plate in the sort of 24 hours before leading into a game, just keeping it really simple. And for the uh, developing dietitians that are tuning in, what are some strategies um, or methods that you take to continually upskill yourself? Because obviously you've been at the highest level now for a number of years. Um, do you prefer to like speak to colleagues that are working at, that are also working in the AFL or other elite sports? Is it reading uh, research or a bit of both? Like, what's your favourite way of yourself? Yeah, it's a combination of really. Um... So, yeah, I like speaking with my colleagues. So being part of the AFL Dietitians Group, um, we're often in communication and we sort of talk to each other around what we're doing a lot, obviously not specifics um, with different teams, yeah. but, you know, different, different strategies. Um, keeping in touch with the research. I also like being involved in research as well. So um, if I can get, yeah, if I can be involved in some, I do really like that to sort of be, you know, the forefront of the research. And, you know, attending conferences if you can, doing lots of reading, joining your associations. Um, so Sports Dietitians Association um, are great. They provide lots of updates on what the current research is. But then it's also sort of looking outside the nutrition area as well. So, again, speaking to the colleagues that you work with in the club. So, what you know, what are they looking at? What are physios learning about? What are the doctors learning about? Um, what are your, you know, head of fitness, high performance learning about? again cross codes as well so I'm lucky enough to be able to work you know across men's men's and women's footy so you're getting such a vast array of, of um, different people to work with plus your netball and then also you know across Malaysian cycling as well I have the ability to sort of meet a lot of people and sort of hear what they're doing in different worlds and figure out how I can apply that to whatever athlete I'm working with and you know I work with some with some ballet dancers as well. So how can I apply what I learn with football players to, to ballet dancers? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned the AFLW team um, for the developing female footballers tuning in. Um, how should their um, differ now that they're playing the game, if they've just started playing or they're, they, maybe they're playing another sport, but they've just converted over to footy. Um, and should it be any different? Is it any different to um, maybe their mates uh, or male mates that are playing football? Should that be the same, or their brother that might play football? Should they now eat the way they do, or is there a gender difference? Yeah. Well, there are micronutrient differences slightly, I suppose. But I su um, in terms of when I'm working with the AFLW, they're also busy, so they've all generally got jobs. Um, they're really, mm. you know, they've got such busy days, and then they come to the club at night and they're and they're training really hard. And I often find that they're underfueling. Um, and we find that if they're chronically underfueling over a long period of time, we're starting to see this relative energy deficiency and the effects that that can have on injury rate and immunity and um, just overall energy and health and well-being and even mental health and well-being. Um, and this is a space that can occur in, in men as well. So if you're constantly underfueling and you're not providing enough good nutrition to the body, you will start mm. to see negative effects. Um, you won't gain muscle, you won't recover as well, you'll start to get injured. 
So, you know, with women, we're obviously, fo- you know, you focus on micronutrients like iron and calcium, and but it's similar in the male developing athlete as well. We're focusing on calcium, iron, zinc, uh, vitamin D. So it's, it's quite similar. Uh, you just have to modify according, again, according to the individual and what their requirements are. Um, you know, in the, yeah, in the women's yeah. space, you can bring in other things um, such as the menstrual cycle, which, you know, what sort of impact that that can have on the athlete. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you do need to take that into account and, and that. there's more research coming in on the male space as well, um, looking at, at hormone changes um, throughout the season and the impact that that can have, again, on injury and performance. So how can we measure that if you're not getting enough um, fuel in the body, the right kind of nutrients? And the yeah. research is starting to come out in that area, which is good. Yeah, in AFL, is it? And not specifically AFL, but male athletes. So I'm not sure whether, um, again, you know, there's different ways of assessing certain things like low energy availability. And in women, it's called the LEAF Q. Um, in, and there's a male version of that coming out very soon from the AAS. Oh, yeah. yeah. Watch this space. That's exactly. Cool. Yeah. Um, maybe when the podcast launches, um, it'll be up to date. We add it in the show notes. Exactly. <laughs> Hopefully so. <laughs> yeah. You, you've mentioned, um, yeah, already we've talked about the AFL experience you've worked at, but the Malaysian cycling team as well that are in Tokyo at the moment. So you've, you've worked with the world-class athletes as well. Um, when you have that consultation or that hallway conversation first time with an athlete, what excites you when you think, okay, this guy's got or this girl's got what it takes to um, be a lead and, and they value nutrition? Um, what are some of the things that you like to see an athlete, the way they go about their diet, their fueling? Um, I suppose it's not so much just their direction that they take or their, that just towards nutrition. It's just watching them control the controllables. So everything, whether it's you know, something as simple as nutrition, really, if they, if they take charge of that, um, or whether it's their recovery or um, their mental health and well-being, so they're being proactive in the space of just trying to make themselves better. A lot of the athletes I've worked with, um, you know, some of them are super talented and some of them might not have as much talent, but they do everything possible to get themselves on the park or whatever sport they're playing. And they, they try and do everything right. And, you know, those athletes that I've worked with have had some of the longest careers um, and they've done such a good job in that space doing, you know, doing all the small things right. And I love that. Um, I don't necessarily look at, you know, not all talented athletes are going to have good nutrition and that's fine and they can get away with that for a long time. Um, but, you know, I think it's something that nutrition is, is really underrated and because I suppose with nutrition, you don't necessarily feel it all the time. And especially in elite sport, I think the only measure that we tend to use is to see if nutrition is working um, is maybe skin folds. Um, yeah. So everyone sort of sees that as a measure of how well you're doing your nutrition, but it's not really. Um, you can actually be doing your nutrition really badly and have great skin folds. Yeah. Um, but it's and going to impact you in many other ways that you might not realize. And vice like versa. Yeah, might be really good, but your performance is down, like you said, if you're underfueled. Exactly. And I just think with especially young athletes and, um, you know, coming in, especially into a footy club environment, it's always, oh, have you had your skinnies done yet? And yeah. that becomes such a big focus. But fueling and um, make, making the right food choices for you as an individual that help you physically, mentally and emotionally um, over that journey are, are only going to help you in the long run. Um, and if and hopefully if you if you do nutrition poorly, you might f- really feel it. Um, you might not, but you know I, I always love seeing seeing players that sort of go out underfueled onto the um, onto the ground and see how they feel, and they tend to feel pretty f- uh, flat and lethargic. And it's always a good case to go, okay, well maybe let's sit down and talk about what we're doing and how we can improve that. But it is yeah. really you know unless you're getting gastrointestinal systems uh, your symptoms, it, it can be really hard. Um, to convince people that nutrition is important. Do, do you see potentially the calipers going away from it in the future? No. Um, look, I think skin folds are a really good measure that we can use, but they just need to be done and just needs to be conducted in the right way. I think a one-off skin fold measure provides us no information really. Um, it mm. can be, um, you know, I think in isolation it doesn't provide us any idea of, of what that person 
sort of is eating or what their lifestyle is or what sort of nutrition education they have or background they have. And I think that can be quite dangerous, um, especially, you know, if we're looking at, say, a draft type situation where, you know, was an athlete selected because of their skin folds being low or high or whatever, which is unlikely, to be honest. I think most papers suggest that body composition doesn't have an impact um, on selection in in footy. but longitudinally and done properly it can really help guide some some good decision making but again it just needs that information and the measurement needs to be in the hands of the right people and with the right background in um, measurement for one making sure that the measurement's reliable but also to you know what's done with that information and um, you know how can we manipulate nutrition around that or um, you know would that measure or can that measure have an impact on someone's mental health and well-being um, mm. and how that data is managed. Um, so, again, it's just a, it's a probably becoming or being an area identified that needs to be quite carefully handled. You know, measurements need to be taken confidentially and behind closed doors um, and managed properly by the right people. And, but otherwise, I think it's a great measure. And, you know, in addition to things like, you know, DEXA, DEXA scans, um, which I have used a lot of in the past, which I find really beneficial, um, just needs to be done in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like um, you have a holistic approach. So it's not just the, the measure that's the end or that objective measure, but also how's the athlete feeling during that training session? How did you recover? Um, what's your body doing over time? Uh, and I guess your performance as well. So that athlete feedback, um, as well as the whole performance team on how that athlete's coping, because you mentioned mood can be affected if you're under fuel as exactly. well. So um, I guess that's that's where it can be a little bit challenging, and it, it might be your nutrition that's letting you down, but you're not aware of it. Um, and that's something you mentioned earlier that it, it comes down to building that awareness, I guess, through education and the athletes, got, you know, focusing on those controllables and and being elite in their approach. Then uh, you're on a good thing. So yeah, look, I think it's um, if I can just throw something else in. I think it's especially if you're looking at like an AFL player, we might have ten months with them. They might have. You know, across that point in time, 900 to 1,000 meals that they're eating in that time mm. um, with that 10 months that you have with them. And that's a significant nutrition um, input into their body. So the impact that that can have physically and um, mentally and emotionally um, is huge. So, you know, even if we look at the 80-20 rule and we say, okay, 80% of the time we'll, we'll be really good with it, 20% of the time, you know, we'll see what happens. But it's still 800 eating occasions that you have the ability to fuel your body properly with the right kind of nutrition and nutrients that are only going to help you be better, um, build muscle, um, stay strong, um, stay injury-free, stay healthy. So it's just such a big opportunity that I don't think we probably make um, the most of. And and just thinking if there was an athlete that um, listens to a presentation yourself or, or has that chat with you in the hallway and they're just like, oh, Emily, I want to do everything that I can to put my best foot forward. Um, obviously, you've got to have all the information on how they eat and with their behaviour, but um, is it focusing on changing one thing at a time, you know, maybe a week, or, or how do you sort of go about a young athlete making those changes? Obviously, because it's habits that they've been doing, like you mentioned, time and time again. So what's a good way from a, from a mindset point of view to, to work on your nutrition? Yeah, again, it depends on where we're starting. If we're starting with an athlete who has no idea how to cook because they've been living at home with their parents and they've been looking after that for them and they move into state and they, <laughs> they don't know what to do, um, you know, we yeah. start looking at, okay, that, that change is going to be working on how can we better improve um, their ability to provide food for themselves, so cooking and supermarket shopping, that sort of thing. Um, but otherwise it could be something quite small. It could be, okay, let's this week let's work on portion sizes so we know that you're not consuming enough grains on your plate let's try and increase that by half a serve at each meal you know small little realistic changes that we can make that are achievable for them and ideally you want the athlete to set that goal themselves so that they find that that that's achievable um, rather than me telling them what to do because I've made that mistake in the past and it sort of doesn't pay off you need them to, re- you know, create that realistic goal for themselves and just small little things that they can do. There's no point in giving them 10 things to change in a week because it'll never happen. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing. That's a, that's a good one because it obviously does depend on where you're at, but um, trying to change everything at once can be quite demotivating. Kind of. Sure can. We'll, we'll, we'll just have a quick little drink break and talk about our academies. This video is around the Papelica Pro Academy and then we'll wrap it up and talk about the rest of the year and, and what you're excited about for what's on the horizon. Hi, I'm Jack McLean, an AFL football strength and conditioning coach, and I want to introduce you to the Prepare Like a Pro Academy. Our academy is a subscription-based platform where you can sign up to be a part of our community. If you get to the end of each episode of the podcast and are hungry for more, this is for you. Designed for aspiring AFL athletes and staff, you'll receive heaps of bonus weekly content. Learn who the guests are in advance and submit questions. Access to our Facebook group with Jack and other Prepare Like a Pro coaches. You'll be able to receive merchandise, program discounts and freebies and get free access to our live events, exercise technique database and much more. This is a great way for you to support the podcast and it helps me with production and release of epic content for you guys each week. Your contribution goes a long way in making the Prepare Like a Pro community possible and just for $5 a week, you'll have access to all of this special content released on our Academy forums. There's no lock-in and you can cancel absolutely any time. Welcome back, guys. We've got a special segment that we've just started. So this is our debut. Um, so this is for, we're now on Patreon, which is just a subscription-based platform for those tuning into our podcast. Um, so these these questions are a little bit impromptu, but they're a little bit about you, and they'll only go to the Patreon members, not the podcast. So um, they're quite light. Um, you can have a bit of fun with them. But the first one is, which movie or TV series has impacted you the most and why? Oh, my gosh, recently? <laughs> uh, any, it oh can be gosh. anything. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anything uh, um, throughout your, yeah. Um, Oh, wow. Oh, I should have had to think about this. Um, what have I been watching lately? Oh, look, I, I suppose the one thing I'm watching at the moment is Survivor. I love it. I love everything about yeah. it. I love the game playing. I love the um, the gameplay and everyone's social games and trying to outsmart each other. I really love that. I wouldn't the say it's life-changing, but the politics of it and love yeah. sitting there sort of yelling at the screen and getting angry at certain people. So... Yeah, I wouldn't say it's would life-changing, but I do love it. Would you ever enter it, Survivor? My husband says that I would be terrible and probably get voted, uh, voted out really early um, because <laughs> I wouldn't be able to hide my um, my hatred or my distaste in anybody and I'd probably show it on my face. So <laughs> I'd be uh, voted out too soon, yeah. <laughs> love that. Um, Favourite inspiration? Oh, my goodness. Uh, this doesn't have to be, it can just be a bit of a, your own personal mantra if it's not a quote that you remember or anything like that. Oh, look, lately, especially with COVID and everything that keeps happening, I just, I think I'd say it to myself, I don't know how many times a day, but it is what it is. It just, <laughs> it is what it is. It's yeah. got to roll with the punches. I just, I don't know right. what else to sort of, that's essentially what I t say to myself every single day, <laughs> multiple times a day. Yeah. yeah. Just got to accept there. it and move with it. Yeah. Yeah, it is what it is, 100%. Um, this is an interesting one. Uh, this actually popped up on our one of our recent podcasts. It was a, a moment of growth. Like you mentioned, a challenging period of your career was you was you juggling your PhD and your first role in AFL club. Um, theirs was uh, learning from interview process, and one question was around what makes you angry, and that at the time they asked the question. Um, so they got some feedback around uh, building more self-awareness and learning more about yourself. but. I think it's a good question and it got me thinking as well. But, you know, in your work life, like pet peeves, I guess, um, what, what are things that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be and then game changes yeah, game changes whatever that might be and look it probably keeps me in a job but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or 
through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah, and that that got a sense. Uh, okay, and then what's your favorite way to spend your day off? The great day off of the of the week is, is there one? Do you have a day off? Um, it's different when you have kids. Um, look, I'll yeah. spend, spending time with my kids <laughs> at the yeah. moment. That's that's it. I think um, it used to be when I was younger and had more time on my hands. It probably would have been saying going to the beach, but now it's with the kids and doing fun things with them when we're allowed to. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Boring. And then last one. Uh, no, very good one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, favorite holiday destination and why, which is pretty dreaming at the moment, but hopefully not too far away. So the whole world, where, where would you love to go and, and why do you love it? My favorite place is Hawaii because you get the best of America, but you also get the beach and the blue water and the sun and the I love that. So it's the combination of the two. I love traveling um, to the US. Um, my husband would, he, he loves it too, but and I sort of love the, the tropical side of things. So Hawaii is my, my go-to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, the, it's a new little segment that we're playing around with, but um, I'm glad we did it. It's a good, no, it's good insight. Yeah, a bit of fun. Um, we'll, we'll wrap it up now. Thank you so much for your, for your time and, more importantly, the gems and experiences that you've shared with us all the way through from the beginning to, to now. So thank you very much, Emily, for, for coming on. Um, what you, are you Emily. excited about for, for 2021? What's on the horizon for you? Uh, I think for me at the moment I'm working really hard with the, uh, the AFL-SDA committee just to get a profession, um, get our name out there a little bit more and, and get ourselves, you know, I suppose, um, educate people a lot more about what we do and how we can help and how valuable we can be. And you know, that's probably not just in the, the AFL world, but any, you know, in any sort of sports. And um, that's what, you know, I'm really looking forward to sort of getting, more, you know, stuck into and what I'm working moment with our group. Yeah. And what, what are some things for those tuning into the podcast? Uh, is, there, is there ways that we can help out, give support? Um, oh, look, it's just, I, I suppose it's, um, we're we're trying really hard to sort of get our you know the right information out there into the academy pathways. We we really want to make sure that the um, that throughout the academy pathways that you're getting the right information, the right nutrition information, and it's not just being delivered through a handout or a you know a Google website or something like that. Um, you know we really want to be able to help to help developing athletes, and we want to be able to help them, especially you know when you're being drafted into clubs and um, and such an, you know, adolescence and that development time is just such an important time for good nutrition and we feel like we can get our, um, get the information out there well um, okay. and, you know, we really want to be able to help more athletes and, you know, once they then sort of get into sort of the AFL system, then half the job's already done. So that's basically what we're trying to do. I'm not sure that's how exciting. people can help us with that, but, you know, if you want to come and sports diet please do um, there are plenty have a look at sports dietitians in google you'll find us you'll find plenty of us and we'd love to see you and and help you along your journey fantastic awesome emily well thank you so much again for your time it's been really good having you on thank you so much and, and thank you for doing this it's, it's a great opportunity for for us to to get um to have a chat with you guys and, and hopefully we can help in the future Absolutely. And we'll, we'll put that in the show notes as well so people can hook up with a, uh, a sports dietitian and start working on their nutrition. Great. Thank you again and, and um, we'll, we'll speak soon. All the best Great. for the pie for the next couple of weeks. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Is it. Catch you, Ellie. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian at Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be and then game changes yeah, game changes whatever that might be and look it probably keeps me in a job but that it does drive me insane 
because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah. Yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah it certainly yeah has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose... One thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single minded back then and um, you know I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things um because you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.